Welcome to Cooking Our Books. I'm Helen Cook. And I'm Pam Cook. In this podcast, we're making recipes from a series of cookbooks compiled by our mum. Recipes that she collected from women's magazines uh, back in the from the 1950s to the 1980s. So far, we have made one recipe out of book one, one recipe out of book two. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about our recipe from book three. Today, we are making cheese triangles. Where is this recipe from, Helen? Interestingly enough, it is actually another one of those wonderful step-by-step recipes that the Woman's Day used to publish back in the early 80s. So this recipe comes with step-by-step photos, which are pretty handy. The ingredients, we've got three kinds of cheese. We've got phyllo pastry, mint, sesame seeds, butter and eggs, and basically you mix up the cheese mixture and you cut strips of the phyllo pastry and then you fold the mixture into triangles, uh, dousing it with butter as you go and bung it in the oven. Sounds simple, Helen, in theory. (laughs) Ended up being a little bit complicated for me. I uh, didn't have a huge amount of joy doing this one. You can choose the type of cheese you make Mm. in this recipe. They say to use feta and parmesan, but you can choose between halloumi or cheddar. I use cheddar because it asked for it to be grated. What did you use, Helen? Oh, I literally opened the fridge and grabbed what I had in there. (laughs) So I had a block of feta, so that was a tick on that one. Um, I had tasty cheese grated, so I used that one. And I had Parmesan cheese grated, so I used that. Actually, I didn't have enough of the Tasty to make up 185 grams, so I used what I had and then I topped it up with mozzarella. (laughs) Here we go. I had four cheeses. (laughs) I used dill instead of mint. I just used dried dill. Yeah, I used oregano. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think just a little bit of herb... Going in doesn't necessarily have to be mint or fresh for that matter. I wasn't going to go buy a whole uh, bushel of fresh herbs (laughs) for this one. Yeah, yeah. So making the recipe, I'll just say the phyllo pastry construction is simple in concept but difficult in delivery. I, I thought it was very delicate. I really made a mistake at the very outset because I took the phyllo pastry out of the freezer and then just opened it up. And, of course, when I opened it up, it had already split three ways uh, Mm. and you're not meant to open it up. You're meant to defrost it in the box for Mm. a good few hours before you even think about opening it. Uh, Of course, I didn't find that out until after the fact. (laughs) By then, the whole of my phyllo pastry was pretty dry and flaky and not that pleasant. So the whole thing was quite difficult, quite cumbersome. It kept folding in over itself. It wasn't really like easy or pleasurable to do. It took a really long time to. I gave it a good crack, tried my best, but I was pretty it wasn't that great i got to say I, you know but i got i got a i got a whole stack of triangles out of it yeah yeah look um i agree with you philo you've got to be really particular with philo 
So I didn't freeze my pastry. I had pre-purchased it, but I kept it in the fridge, not in the freezer. Um, I do know that when using phyllo, you've got to keep it um, moist. Uh, it's not moist. It, generally, when you bring phyllo out, you lay it out flat and then you put a damp tea towel mm. over the top of it, which stops it drying out. So I did all of that. Uh, the recipe called for a sheet of phyllo to be cut into quarters lengthways, not widthways. So from left to right, not from top to bottom. And um, so you had these four long strips and then the recipe said get a little teaspoon of the mixture, place it in and then do a bit of a triangle fold over each other to then form a triangle and and roll it up into a triangle form, for want of a better word. Well, I did one. I did the first one. I cut the first sheet. Well, actually, I'd already pre-cut all the sheets into quarters and I had them all stacked up and then I took one sheet out and I did the folding and it was so tiny. I just thought, this is ridiculous. Like, this is <laughs> literally one bite and this cheese triangle's gone. And that's not a cheese triangle to me. To me, you got to have at least a couple of bites in it, right? So, <laughs> so it was after... I'm supersizing this, dear. That's what yeah, you decided to do. That's exactly what I did, right? So I got two strips, so fundamentally brought it back to half a sheet of phyllo, joined them together with butter, whacked it, dollop of the the mixture on it and then did the triangle folding and they turned into beautiful looking triangles right and they were really really yummy so I did the whole rest of the batch at half sheet not at quarter sheet and they came out fabulous I agree with you it was fiddly like seriously fiddly I can go down to the local deli and buy a bag of these things for like $4.99 and I don't have to waste two and a half hours. I think it was close to three hours of my time building these cheese triangles. And I just went, yep, I can tick the box. I've done it. They were really yummy, really yummy. I think at the end, even the old butter lover in me said, no, I think I'm tapping out now. <laughs> I've oh, done it, it used butter. a huge amount of butter. Oh, enormous amount. Yeah. So... Yeah, I definitely would not do the the quarter sheet again. I'd uh, if I was to do it again, and I'm not not likely to. But if I was to do it again, I would uh, definitely make the recipe by half sheets. And half sheets is the perfect size. It's the perfect holding size. Couple of bites, two to three bites worth in a half a sheet. Look, as I said, we did it. We've ticked that box. Good tip there. Who doesn't love cheese, pastry and butter? It smelt gorgeous. It's <laughs> yeah, it lovely. I think it was too salty because I actually added salt and pepper as the recipe said and of course you don't need salt because it's got three kinds of cheeses in there. Cheeses cheese in, is yeah, super and salty. Very salty. So yeah. it was way too salty for me. But I felt like with three cheeses in there, I felt like it needed something else like spinach or maybe a little bit of sun-dried tomato, something to kind of balance it out. It just felt like it was just this one-note super cheesy thing. Yeah. Uh, So if I was to do it next time, I'd probably do that. But then again, I wouldn't use three low pastry. I would use puff pastry. Yeah. Much easier to handle. And I think 
the phyllo pastry packet I've got, it said, do not refreeze this after you mm. defrost it. And I thought that's so wasteful because if unless I use like the whole box, yes. what am I going to do with this thing? So I just, of course, put it back in the freezer. <laughs> Though it said not to. Such a rebel. Such a rebel. I'm like, no, I'll do what I want to do. I was the same. I had, um, so I used up all the mixture and I had this stack of pre cut quarter length phyllo strips still left. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? So thankfully, I had, to your point, I had a couple of bags of frozen spinach in the freezer. So, and I had another. You knew, Helen. I had another block of feta. So I mixed up a spinach and feta with a couple of eggs uh, mixture. I placed it into one of my anchor hocking baking dishes and I used the remaining sheets of phyllo. I just kind of scrunched them up and just placed it over the top of this spinach and feta pie mixture, scrunched up the phyllo, laid it all out, poured a whole lot of melted butter over the top of that and whacked that in the oven. So I got a feta and spinach pie out of it as well. That sounds like the way to go, like doing a a pie, like a layered lasagna kind of pie job rather than this wrapping, this individual wrapping. There was just too much, there was too much labour involved for me. But if you put phyllo pastry, the, the thing is, if you did it like a lasagna, you just come out with soggy pastry because it needs to crisp up. Oh, That's the whole right. thing about phyllo, right? You need it to crisp up. Having that the cheese triangles, all the pastries on the outside, and it did cook up and it crisped up beautifully, as it does with a ton of butter on it. So mine turned out okay. They looked a little bit stumpy. They did not look perfect. <laughs> Get- when you sent me the photo, I went, oh, my God, they look like mum's thumbs. Our <laughs> mum has stumpy thumbs. <laughs> I thought it was quite apt, actually. Maybe in the theme of the cookbooks, yeah. Yeah, they, they did resemble triangles. Uh, I bought a whole um, container of them into work and my colleagues ate them all and feedback was really great. Who ate yours? Teenagers definitely ate them so the kids had them and were and then they had the spinach and feta pie as well I did take a small container of uh, some that were left Uh, I left some at home for the kids and I took a small container I think there was maybe six or eight of them into work and I have a work colleague who uh, he gladly with open arms relishes anything I cook it was like, so what have you got for me today, Helen? <laughs> it's almost an expectation on Monday morning that that I bring in something for him, bless him. So he and a couple of other co-workers who s- smelt them, I, you know, I reheated them in the microwave, never the best because the pastry is just a bit soggy. But um, they still tasted really good and a few of the other work colleagues walked into the kitchen and went, what's that smell? What's that smell? That smells great. So they ate them as well. So, yeah. So if you want to make this dish yourself, you can find the recipe and pictures of our attempt on our Instagram page. Our handle is cookingourbooks1 and I encourage you to visit our page because Helen's photos of these cheese triangles are simply phenomenal. Helen, they look as good as the actual recipe photo. You can also see my stumpy, uh, gnarly (laughs) 
version, but yours look really cracking. And I reckon the half a sheet thing, hmm, maybe that's what they uh, did for the photos for the recipe book. I'm thinking they did. I'm thinking they did. There's no way they could have got such perfect triangles out of a quarter of a sheet. There's just no way. I reckon they uh, were telling a bit of a furphy. It's really interesting, though, three episodes in, and we're getting very comfortable with breaking the rules. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Didn't we talk about this in the first episode about how with baking you rarely break the rules and we have pretty much got to be so precise. I mean, that's true. When you're like... Mm pouring out flour and things like that. But we're getting very Mm. relaxed about bending or exchanging certain ingredients. I like it. I like it. I do too. We're we're just so confident about that too, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you, it hasn't hasn't impacted on the taste. I mean, everything we've made so far has just come out fabulous, like taste-wise. So I think what we're doing is we're bringing our own a real life experience over many, many, many years of cooking. We're bringing that to these books now and these recipes. True. Personalising and tailor tailorising is that a word? These yep. recipes. I'll 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 put it down to personalisation. So yeah, <laughs> if you could check out our photos of these cheese triangles, and if you do cook it, we'd love to see your photos. Send us your pictures on Instagram, or you can email us cookingourbooks at gmail dot com. Pam, since we started this project, I'm wondering how it's uh, impacted, if at all, on your approach to cooking and baking. Have you found you're being more adventurous in the kitchen? Are you looking to see how you could amend recipes? I would say not really because I've been away for the last few weeks, so I haven't really had a lot of time to be at home to cook a lot of recipes. I don't follow a lot of recipes normally, but It is teaching me patience and you needed a lot of that for today's (laughs) recipe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say, though, that actually just doing this project, cooking recipes out of this collection, it feels meaningful to me because I'm really enjoying seeing these recipes come to life. And in our family, a lot of our family members are like collectors. There must be something genetic that makes us want to collect things, right? Yeah, there must be. From our Mm. parents to our siblings, people collect stuff. Everyone collects something, really. Mm. And often the stuff that's collected isn't used. It's not functional or it just gathers dust. It sits there. Shelfware. (laughs) Yeah. Mother collected recipes. She spent a big chunk of her life collecting these recipes. And she, as we spoke about earlier, she never really used them. She didn't make recipes. They've yeah. not had a life. Aside from there's a few classics like Passion Fruit Slice we made in episode one. That's been made multiple times. It's it's had a history. Yeah. But yeah. most of these recipes have never seen the light of day. So just by doing this project, I feel really good about it because it's it's giving them life and it's and it feels quite useful. It's giving the collection a use. And yeah. I know that's not yeah. the point. It's not the point of collecting. People can collect things for the sheer joy of it. Mm. But I've always been a little bit sensitive to the to that, knowing that in our family we are sort of inclined to collect stuff and gather stuff, and mm. often it's just the process of gathering things. Mm. 
Yeah, it's not the joy that in some instances within the family, it's not like the stuff has brought joy. It hasn't. It's actually <laughs> brought the opposite. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about bringing a book to life, that's, you know, you first of all think, well, how do you bring a book to life? Well, you know, have a look at what the book is telling you. And, and I think you're right. You nailed it with this one is that, actually pulling that the books out, going through them, reading through them, picking out a recipe, making that recipe, it connects you to that book, doesn't it? Mm. You know, now we've got more memories we're mm. making mm. and it does make it personal. It makes it unique and it does bring it to life. Another point on this that got me thinking was when our mum packed up her kitchen and her house and moved into state, she shared with some of our siblings items from her trousseau. Now, a trousseau is not a very common thing anymore. Helen, do you want to talk about what a trousseau is? <laughs> is that because I have one? Bless. <laughs> a trousseau or otherwise known as a glory box, but I don't think we can actually refer to it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, I have not heard glory box in years in that context, yes. If you talk about a glory box nowadays, it brings a whole different meaning. Uh, yes, so let's stick with trousseau. Back in the day, uh, in the you know 40s and 50s, when a woman was preparing herself for marriage, she would gather up items that would be expected that she'd need to expected to have a need for in a home. Things like a lot of linens, tablecloths, doilies. Um, napkins, uh, lots of embroidered linens of various descriptions, as well as kitchen bowls and, and utensils and things like that. And so she'd start to gather them up while she was waiting for the husband to appear. And she would and, also be uh, given stuff like this at her birthday, she, yeah, at yeah, her like key 18, birthdays birthday, around 18 yeah. or 20 or 21. 21. Yeah. Mm. yeah, exactly, exactly. And so this was her trousseau. So when the fella decided he wanted to marry her and uh, she was then to become a housewife and the trousseau came in handy when she was first establishing her home. So our mum used to set us up with a glory box, as she called it back in the day. To this day, I still have my original one that I bought when I was 18, a big carved camphor wood chest. And, you know, I had doilies because I always thought when I was a teenager that that's what you needed in your house was doilies and tablecloths and table runners and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, that's true. So. It's such a fascinating old-fashioned idea, isn't it? And even calling it a glory box. But this <laughs> idea that a woman is waiting to be married or at least yes. will be married shortly and is preparing for her role as the homemaker with yes. a lot of functional <laughs> items. Uh, it's just it's of a, of, its, of a days gone by era already, it's you know. Already, mm. yeah. And the fact that you can't say the word glory box without having a chuckle nowadays. That's <laughs> <laughs> really true. So our mother obviously had a trousseau and it was filled with all various different things. So when she was packing up her kitchen, she divvied out some of the items from her trousseau that had really sat in the back of a cupboard in her kitchen pretty much her entire life up until then. And what I got was a few pieces. And one of the pieces I got was this beautiful 
little box, this embroidered, cushioned, I think silk-lined box, and inside it was like a set of six silver cake spoons. Oh, beautiful. It had the original card in it and was something that Mother had received when she was 21. So the, the birthday card was still inside it. She'd never used it. And that was true for a lot of these items that she had divvied out when she finally moved house about 30 years after getting married. And it made me a little bit sad. And I always think back uh, that she'd never actually used something so beautiful and delicate because of circumstances of life had taken over. And there Mm. was not this, I think there was likely like a domestic ideal that she had in mind when she was a younger lady of, you know, the, the possibilities of a domestic life and eating lovely things and dining in a lovely way and having mm. nice things. And that's what a trousseau kind of signifies. It signifies mm. beautiful mm. quality things for this domestic life. When I heard about the idea of using your good stuff, that always resonates with me because mm. for our mother, she never ended up using most of her good stuff and the good stuff she did have, she kind of gave away. Anyway, how does that link to using collections? I think it for me it links it a little bit in terms of don't wait for the future. Don't no. collect stuff and never use it. Seize the moment, you know, embrace, yep. you know, and use your good stuff but also and you use the things around you. If you've got something like this at your fingertips, use it and enjoy it mm. and make make mm. the day of it. So that's a long-winded yeah, way of reflecting on the recipe books. <laughs> well, can I just say, I've got a few questions on that one. First of all, A, why didn't I get anything? Because <laughs> I never got anything in whatever was divvied up. Uh, wouldn't have minded something. And uh, and B, I think it, you, you, your point of that is that it comes back to waste, right? Mm, mm. We now live in such a wasteful society. And people not using your good stuff. I, for one, use my good stuff every day. Every day I eat off Royal Dalton because that's my good dinner set and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. I'm here to enjoy it. Mm. I'm not going to be able to enjoy it when I'm dead, so why would I keep it? Why wouldn't I drink out of the good crystal? Why wouldn't I eat off the good rod silverware? You know, Mm. oh, by the way, were those splades that you got, were they sporks or were they rod, R-O-D-D? Oh, geez. Now you're really putting some uh, technical questions to me, Helen. You're the expert in this area. I'm, I probably will have to pull it out and display it to you to understand. I'll pull it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was raised or we were raised thinking that you've got to have something good in the cupboard. No, I think it was after my marriage ended that I realised why wouldn't I treat myself to using the good stuff? Why would I keep it in the cupboard? Years ago, I used to collect a, um, and here you are talking about collecting. Years ago, I used to collect American glassware called anchor hocking. And those of you out there that may remember, your grandma always used to have a set of these peach-coloured glassware mugs in the cupboard and that's the anchor hocking peach lustre wear that I used to collect. Is that um, called Fire King? It is Fire King, made right. by anchor hocking. There yeah. you go. Yeah, it's American glass. It's really pretty. It's like oh, it's really pretty. It's orangey, yeah. peachy. Looks like a bit holographic too. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a pearl lustre that looks very holographic as well that Fire King used to put out. But I use all of that. There is a lot still 
packed away. Um, I ended up having to pack it away for various reasons. But uh, I still use all the bakeware. That's my go-to bakeware in the cupboard. And when the current set of crockery starts to break and as it's getting older, I'll replace it with the anchor hocking dinner sets that I've got because why would I go and buy another set, Mm. you know? I've got punch bowls that I've used. Yeah, you know, I've got that beautiful anchor hocking I love peach a punch, bowl. punch bowl. There's something um, so old-fashioned about a celebration, a party with a punch bowl for me. With a with a punch <laughs> bowl. You've got to love a punch bowl. I've got two of them. And those little and... cups that hang off the side. And... <laughs> oh, yeah. so yeah. great. They are. They're fabulous. Punch bowl. As I said, I've got two of them and I do tend to bring them out. I haven't brought them out for the last couple of parties, but yeah, wouldn't it be lovely just to, I think that's what we need to do. I'm I'm digressing here, but I think we need to actually have a party with it being like a 60s or 70s themed so we can have like um, punch bowls, fondue sets, <laughs> 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 to drink the fondue sets out. You can get um, a little punch bowl fountain, you know, a little, uh, it's like a plastic fountain that you stick in the punch bowl and yeah. it, it, it makes a fountain out of your punch. Really? It's mechanical. It, yeah. I think, yeah, it's pretty classy. <laughs> oh, we, well, sit that next to your pineapple with the cocktail sticks of the Devon and the cocktail onions. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to do that. And, and you know, an aspic mould of some description. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, one of our mum's favourite things to buy from the deli, which always blew my mind, I did not understand why you would actively choose this, was the aspic jelly offcut slice what was it called brawn that's brawn, it brawn that wasn't that's an intentional yeah no, no. brawn is an intentional um meat cut i don't think they sell it anymore i've though. not I'm, seen brawn seen in a deli years. in yeah it literally yeah. was like a square jelly gelatinous full, gelatinous thing pumps of meat in it full of all the little yeah. off cuts of all the other kinds of meat you know yeah. she uh, you know at the point that she stopped buying that and she actually upgraded her meat slice choices was she went from that to mortadella. <laughs> <laughs> Mortadella's not bad. Like mortadella oh, no. I would suggest is a rung above the Devon, you know the Devon in the uh, con- in the roll. In, in the, the roll, roll, the Devon I roll. Buy it now. You do not buy son. now. I do. <laughs> It's the only way you can feed a 16-year-old boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> he eats it. He just cuts off like one-inch chunk slices of... Oh, it's of economical. Pickle. It's not expensive. <laughs> no. Oh. It, but it fills him up. Your teenager's <laughs> a fan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a big fan. <laughs> big fan. <laughs> you know, when the, the parents would come home from doing the late-night shopping... Dinner was Devon and tomato sauce sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I did like a chicken a chicken loaf and tomato sauce sandwich. That's oh, what that I liked. Was, yeah. You, you came, you were I came after. after you came after me when I was your age in the family. We we thought it was the highest sophistication with a Devon and tomato sauce sandwich. So oh. that was dinner. Well, better than brawn. That's all I'll say. But again, you know, probably of an of an old era. There was a great podcast I listened to a few months ago about um, eating and cooking in 
the Depression era. And it gave me a lot of respect and a different insight into possibly how our mum cooked because that was the generation of her mum was Mm. that depression era generation and how economical they absolutely had to be with food Mm. and this Mm. idea you're right we live in a time of abundance we have the choice and you know we've been blessed with um, immigration in Australia that's brought different cultures different tastes and now we have a globalized you know marketplace so we can get things shipped in from overseas but I guess our grandmother's time, they didn't have that. They didn't have all the choice, you know, and uh, Mm. when money is tight, they had a different way of looking at food and and the economy of food. So I still, I think as I get older, the the food choices that were given to us kids, yeah, like I wouldn't Mm. repeat a lot of them, but Mm. I get more and more, uh, I think I want to open my perspective to the understanding of the choices that our mum made were based on her life experience and what mm. she was exposed mm. to as a kid too. So I think yeah. I want to open my mind a little bit more as I go on and not be so judgmental as I was probably when I was a teenager. And Without impinging on any political uh, um, hot topics, um, you're right. We live in a country and we live in a, a time of absolute abundance and I'll just quantify that, you know, not right at this moment because we can't find letters for love or money, but <laughs> um, but we do. We and and we're so lucky to live in Australia because of um, what we have. Yeah, we've got the freedom of a lot of choice here. Being um, grateful for what you've got, it's the ever-present challenge, isn't it? Um, yeah, it well, is. for me, yeah. it's the it, it's a trying to trying to see the glass half full. That's mm. what I'm trying to do more of at the moment. Well, that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. We've put up the cheese triangles recipe and pictures on Instagram. Our handle is Cooking Our Books Number One. Our theme music is Josie Has the Upper Hand by Josh Woodward. And we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe so you can be notified when our new episodes are live. Take care and bye for now. Bye, everyone.